Hey everyone, welcome back to the Coffee Breath Conversations podcast. A couple of housekeeping things before we get started. Really quick, just want to say that I took a bit of a break with the show, simply over the Thanksgiving holidays, so I'll be back at her with more interviews coming up. I also want to thank a listener who provided a monetary donation, which I used to build a new theme with services from Fiverr. So I hope you like the new theme, and I really want to thank the listener that provided a monetary donation. And I do want to say that uh, if you're interested, the best way to support the show, you can go to coffeebreathconversations.com. There's a tab for Rate Show. Hit the tab button, and it'll bring you right to links. That'll bring you right to Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Rating me there, the best way to help grow the show. That's all I got for housekeeping, so let's get started. All right, everyone, welcome back to uh, Coffee Breath Conversations. I'm your host, Russell, and today I have Josh Slocum from the Disaffected Podcast on, and we're going to talk a little bit about what the consequences are going to be for excluding unvaccinated people from society. Josh, if you want to give an introduction to who you are and what your show is all about. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Disaffected has been going on since January. It's a weekly show that talks about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens with a particular emphasis on abuse dynamics and uh, the results of uh, dynamics where you have people with what are called cluster B personality disorders, the neighborhood of narcissism, psychopathy, borderline personality disorder. The show started because of my experience in my family with... um, with a mother who's severely deranged with uh, more than one cluster B personality disorder. And when I connected the domestic and child abuse of, of my childhood, but also my adult relationship and my siblings' adult relationship to what was going on politically, I, I started to notice that cluster B rules of engagement, abuse dynamic rules that happened in the home, I started to see them structure our political and cultural life, particularly on the left and what people call the woke left. Vaccines, COVID, it started kind of nonpartisan, but I noticed that as the pandemic went on, two years into it now, we started to see in my mind, there was the people that were saying, let's be cautious, let's really see what's going on. People that were saying, you know, China's responsible, they got pushed to the right. And then people that just wanted us to follow everything that the government says, no matter what, including these vaccines and these vaccine mandates, kind of found themselves on the left, which I found to be a very interesting dichotomy because when I was growing up, I was a little bit more liberal. I found the liberal side of things was growing up was very much, you didn't trust big pharma. The government needed to regulate. Things need to be looked into. And especially you didn't trust anything that was really a big business and big pharma is big fucking business. Yep. And now we have this thing where now the left is saying, you have to trust big pharma. They would never lie to you. They have your best interests at heart. Get the vaccine, get the brand of the vaccine that you got tattooed on yourself and do a TikTok video about it. 
and add in some of your progressive, you know, woke stuff to it. I am a former leftist. I was a wokey. Been coming away from that since 2016. I'm no longer there at all. But I grew up a Democrat, a U.S. style Democrat, a liberal, a leftist. And I, too, thought of the left as the countercultural objectors to to authority and authoritarianism. And I was badly mistaken. And this this past couple of years has shown me how badly mistaken I've been. And I think it's shown a lot of people that way. I think this sorting that you're talking about. It it may make less sense these days to talk about who's on the left and who's on the right. And more sense to talk about who is of an authoritarian collectivist bent and who is of an individual and liberty-minded frame of mind. 2021 has caused a lot of interesting things. I mean, Nicki Minaj now is a hero to the right now, Yeah, which uh, who knew that was going to happen in this timeline? But the big thing that's really been pushed now is the vaccine. Yes. Which I thought was interesting because two years ago, when this first started and the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, was talking about vaccines, people were saying, I'll never take, I'll never take the Trump vaccine. Yep. And then once he got out of office and the new president is in there now, now it is people on the left are demanding that you take the vaccine. They don't want to hear any reason why you don't want to. It is, you need to take this vaccine. It's for my safety. It's for my health that you take your vaccine. You have to do this for me. That's, that's the astonishing thing about this. In under two years, we have been convinced to completely change our philosophical orientation to the idea of vaccines. And I think a lot of people haven't even noticed it. We've gone from understanding them for what they are, which is, which are medicinal preparations that stimulate your immune system, make you immune to a disease. They protect you. We no longer think of them as something that protect us. We think of it as something that we do for other people, but, but I think more accurately, we think of it as something other people have to do for us. So it's been completely reversed. And 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 people don't even seem to be aware of that. They don't even remember what they forgot last year. The vaccine sort of mandates have really, they've really kind of taken on a shape of their own, a political sort of culture all of, all of themselves. I think it was Stephen Colbert, one of those late show, late night talk show hosts, I saw a thing on uh, Twitter yesterday and it was him and he has these people dressed up as vaccine syringes dancing with him. Mm -hmm. And it was the cringiest thing I've ever seen in my life. And everyone's cheering, everyone's cheering and smiling and everyone's hooting and hollering. And I'm like, but what is funny about this? There's nothing funny about this. Oh, Oh no, no, it's not funny. It's not funny. You know what it is. It's a tent revival. It's a religious meeting. That's what it is. And I'm, I'm not trying to be cute or arch when I say that. That is exactly what it is. This is a religious tent revival service. Um, this entire, the entire response to this has been fundamentally religious and emotional, not rational. Yeah, that and the TikTok videos and the just the, this, the rapid adoption of so many people in the U.S. and Canada into the idea 
that this is a moral obligation, when I really started to move away from the left and when I started questioning the pronouncements and the standards for what made you a moral person and the things you were supposedly obliged to do for trans people, for gay people, for women, for black people, for people of color, all of these performative self-mortification rituals that, that we are required to engage in to prove our moral bona fides. People that I had known for years started characterizing me and people like me as selfish uninterested in caring for the community, psychopathic, some of them, like you just don't care about other people. You just want what you want and and fuck everybody else, even if it kills them. It's been amazing how quickly and thoroughly that's taken hold. A year and a half ago, I was heavily criticizing nursing TikTok videos. I was criticizing them for being narcissistic, for being really out of touch, for being yes, I'm better than you. And yeah, it was cringy as hell. But then we were expected to almost worship these people. Oh, yeah. On an altar of um, gratitude for the fact that they are going to care for us during during a global pandemic, when really, that's kind of part of their job. It's what they signed up for when you became a nurse or a healthcare professional, you signed up for the good times and the bad times and mm-hmm. global pandemic. Yeah, I get it. That's just about as shitty as it gets, but you signed yeah, up. Except this one, except this one. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is one of the milder pandemics humanity has ever experienced. You'd think this was the fucking black death or Ebola. And it's not, it is now, about as mild as you can get. Now, if this was the black death, do you think they'd be firing nurses from hospitals? I have no idea because what I've learned about what people will do in times of crisis like this, even if it's a manufactured crisis, has been so surprising to me. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I could predict what they would do. I think there is an important point to think about, though. If this were the Black Death, if it had a death rate of between 30, 40, 50 percent, what we're doing now would make a lot more sense to a lot more people. I think it would make a lot more sense to me. I would be far more willing to comply with things like lockdowns, possibly medical protocols, if that level of danger and lethality were anywhere near that, right? It's not as if there's no no level of danger that might mean that an extreme response is appropriate. But this one is not. And, and the fact that it's not and, and saying that it isn't and actually pointing to the fact that smeared out over large numbers that more than 99% of people who get this survive this. And in lower age groups, it's, it's very, very high. Even pointing that reality out, you've noticed this, Russell, it makes people angry. When you show them facts and you say, good news. Be happy. Your kids actually aren't in danger. Isn't that a relief? They get furious at you. It's crazy. And, and why do you think that is? Because we talk a lot about the the videos themselves. We take a look at the video and we see some parent saying, oh, my God, my, my school board says that we're not going to mandate masks. And they're screaming and crying on video. Mm-hmm. 
when they should be happy knowing that their child is probably in the lowest risk category and their child can resume a normal life of taking appropriate precautions, you know, for the people that are at the highest risk. Yep. So why aren't they happy? I'm not sure, but I think one hypothesis I have about this is we, and when I say we, um, I know that, you know, we're in two different countries, but the U.S. and Canada are close siblings in a lot of ways. So I'm speaking of North American culture um, and, and where there are places where that diverges, of course, you know, pull that out. But we, we North Americans, we have not really been challenged in a major way since World War II. Our lives have been very comfortable comparatively. Even, even the people in our countries who are poor, 21st century poor is nothing like 19th century poor and certainly nothing like 12th century poor. And it's not like poor in India and it's not like poor in sub-Saharan Africa. So our lives have been very, very comfortable. I think there's some yearning in people to feel like they are part of something bigger, something meaningful, something that will def- be a definitive moral arc in, in the course of their lives. I think some of that impulse is a, a religious impulse. You know, whether you're actually formally religious or not, human beings do, do have a, an evolved religious impulse. You know, whether that takes the form of monotheism and belief in the supernatural, it doesn't really matter to me because this is just as religious, you know, secular people indulging in this. And I, I think there's a real hunger for meaning because I think our lives in, in many ways are very empty and artificial and we have brand names and we have lifestyles, but we don't have deep content or satisfaction. I think that's part of it. What do you think? I think that in North America, we have everything that we need. Even the poorest person here can afford a cell phone. They can get geared to income housing. They can get on uh, like welfare or food stamps. There's, there's poor. I I went to South America before and I went to the favela area of one of the uh, countries and I saw what poor really looked like. Poor there is people basically rotting in the streets they don't have yeah. homes. They don't have anything. And yet they are still there. They're just looked at by other people like trash. It's 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 a completely different mentality. And you're right. In North America, we've gotten everything we've ever wanted. We we won World War II. We got the money. We got the technology. We have everything except for, as Darren says in the comments, except meaning. We are having an existential crisis of meaning. Yes. And and we're looking for meaning in our lives. It, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've fulfilled every hierarchy except the very top one, self-actualization. self-actualization. Now, people are looking for that self-actualization in their lives. Well, they, they're finding it through this pandemic they're finding it through through woke left woke, ideology woke politics yep yep and and they think that there's going to be some type of conclusion to this when they don't understand that the whole point of woke politics and what they're doing with this pandemic it divides in, infinitely 
you'll, you can just pe make people into smaller and smaller boxes, but you can never put someone into one box. If we don't have enough real problems, humans seem to create struggles for themselves. Um, and we are creating these struggles. Wokeness is an entirely created struggle. And I say that as somebody who used to buy into those politics, right? I come from a floridly abusive family background. You know, these cluster B personality disorders are shot through my family. My mother is the worst, but she's not the only one in the family with this condition. Domestic violence, intergenerational poverty. Um, I'm gay. I came out very young at 12 years old in 1986. I spent a long time in my younger years working on when, when, when homosexuals actually had <laughs> legitimate complaints about civil rights. You know, you could get fired for being gay. You could be denied being able to sign an apartment lease for being gay. These were the days when we, we had actual real struggles for full participation. That was the kind of stuff we worked on. So that's how I cut my teeth and that's how I grew up and I just stayed in it. And I know it's not the same for everybody that people come to become embroiled in these politics for different reasons, but I suspect that there are many people that came to it for reasons like me. And one of those reasons is if you come from a background like that, and it's hard to talk about these things because this vocabulary has been stolen from us. So I was going to say a traumatic background, and I know that these words are are overused, but Nonetheless, there is such a thing as real trauma. There is real abuse. There's real predation. These things actually exist in the world. Just because the Wokies have exaggerated everything doesn't make those go away. So when you really do come from that, one of the psychological consequences is that you learn to, and you are encouraged by other people to see yourself as an eternal victim, as an object that is acted upon by outside forces, and that things bad things that happen are always someone else's fault. They're always the result of it, uh, a more oppressive force. And so I think, I suspect that many people are probably drawn to woke politics and to participation in this vaccination religion because they see themselves as victims. They see themselves as objects. They, they don't think that they can make choices in their lives. And I'm not saying there are circumstances that constrain us, right? I can't do the things that a much richer person would do. I don't have the money for that. Um, you know, it, there are all sorts of things that do constrain us, but the degree to which we believe that we are uber victims has given us such a sense of grievance that, that people cannot think outside of it. And when you even suggest to them, and I used to be one of these people, I'm not unempathetic to that. I can understand that mindset because I lived in that mindset. But it was unhealthy, and it was a cognitive distortion, and it was an emotional distortion. But you can't suggest that to people because, if, well, you can, but what they'll come back with is th they'll say, you hate me, you don't understand, or, uh, well, you're a white male, you'd never get it. I'm more oppressed than you. It's a self-reinforcing thing. Now, when it comes to vaccines and, and sort of this big kind of push, for this big mandate to have everyone vaccinated. Let's say everyone did get vaccinated. Would that be good enough to the, for them, do you think? Nope. Or would they find something else? Would they move the goalposts again? Yep. Well, they're already doing it. We see them doing it. First, you have to get the first shot. Then you have to get the second shot. Now they're changing the definition of fully vaccinated to, are you going to have booster shots in some countries? I know that it hasn't been uh, worked out in the U.S. yet, whether or not 
well, nothing's been worked out. Biden, President Biden is talking about a, uh, a vaccine mandate that would uh, apply to empl- private employers with 100 employees or more. Um, I, I fervently hope that, is it 24 or 27 uh, conservative Republican-led states, uh, I hope will be legally successful in challenging that because it scares the shit out of me. I cannot believe that we are at this point where the executive branch of our government uh, is is arrogating to itself the authority to to force private businesses to fire people if they won't comply with the medical treatment they don't want. I don't think it would be enough. I don't think anything will be enough, Russell. This is a one-way ratchet, okay? This is why I think it's important for us to understand. This is why I talk about cluster B personality disorders, because many of the people at the top of this politics, the politicians, some of the directors of the CDC, the people who are really driving this narrative are psychopaths. And I'm not saying that to be hyperbolic or cute. I mean exactly what I say. They are psychopaths. They are severely personality disordered. They are narcissistic. They are sadistic. They take enjoyment in controlling other people, and they enjoy being able to control people in a way that makes those people suffer. They don't have full personalities. They're broken inside, but they can be very charismatic. They can be very intelligent. They can be very sexually seductive. They can be excellent orators. And if we don't recognize the difference between people of normal character and personality and people who have a broken character, a narcissistic, unstable, or sociopathic character, that is why we're here. These people cannot be satisfied. Their hunger can never be satisfied. There must always be a step farther. We need to understand that. Now, with the uh, government, I believe that, is it members of Congress are not mandated to get the vaccine? Yes, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure the exact legal there. There may I think it might be a separation of powers constitutional issue between the executive branch and and um, uh, and Congress. I'm not I'm not precisely sure about that. But yes, I believe that you're correct about that. Our U.S. Postal Service, one of our largest employers in the country, a government agency, they don't have to get vaccinated either. But the military does, though, right? I believe so. Yes. What it looks like to me is we have a two-tier system. We have a system where some people have to get vaccinated, and if they don't get vaccinated, you're a terrible person. You need to be cast out from society. But other people, it's okay if they don't get vaccinated. They have exemptions. And these positions where people tend to have these exemptions, for some reason, tend to be more higher levels of governmental power. Gee, I'm surprised, aren't you? <laughs> well, well, a- absolutely. But if they had so much faith in this vaccine, would they not? You would think that they, if they had so much faith in it, that it wouldn't even be a point of contention. They would just say, "Yeah, it doesn't matter if you make it exempt. We're all going to do it anyways because we believe in this." But it seems like there's a lot of people that don't actually believe in it all that much that are become exempted from these things. Um, today in Saskatchewan, Canada, we had an MLA who actually What is lied MLA? A, uh, member of Legislative Assembly. So kind of like a state politician, state-level politician. Provincial politician. Yeah, provincial politician. Okay. 
and she lied about her vaccine status and she got caught lying. And so now she's been expelled from the cabinet and she has to sit as an independent now. So okay. there is consequences even for politicians, but where the consequences seem to be is for the normal everyday people. Uh, Ontario Provincial Police, which are like a state level police, today they were filmed and a lady refused to provide her vaccination status in Ontario because they have vaccine passports there. And she was arrested in front of her kids and hauled off to jail. Now, at the beginning of this pandemic, we were told we should empty out the jails because we don't want them to become COVID hotspots. Mm. Now it's changed. Now it's we need to put these people in jail because they're not following the rules. They're breaking the law. Yeah, so we, did, we can let the real criminals out. We can let the rapists and the murderers and the home invaders out for compassionate release so that we don't spread COVID. But let's put suburban moms in there because she refused to be injected. This tells you all that you need to know about what drives these people. You say that they act like they don't care. It's because they don't care. They don't believe in this. They don't give a flying fuck about people's health. They don't care about society's health. They care about control. These people want to control you. The problem is, you know, as I said, a lot of these people at the top, they're psychopaths or they have narcissistic personality disorder. But that's not most people, right? There's an elevated number of these broken personality structures and positions of power. We know this. The literature knows this. Common sense shows us this. But still in all, the vast majority of people are not personality disordered, right? But we are all vulnerable to it. And some of us are more vulnerable than others. And just like in the family, it only takes one or two or a few psychopaths, narcissists, borderline personality disorder cases in in key positions to create drama for all the rest of us to fall in line and start playing games along with them. It's very analogous to the domestic abuse situation. So when you have when you have a, an abusive parent, the children often play certain scripted roles. One might be the scapegoat child who gets blamed for everything that makes the parent unhappy. Another one might be the golden child who can do no wrong and even co-abuses his siblings along with that abusive parent. Um, And many people in the family become what we call flying monkeys. Um, they're, They're henchmen. They're servants for the abusive person who go out and further their abuse. They tell on people, they snitch, they tattle, they triangulate people so that they stay in the good graces of the authority figure. That happens in the home, but it's happening. It's happening in society right now, too. So, so many of these people, real life friends of mine, I'm seeing a side of them I've never seen before. They are vicious. They are terrified and 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 in their terror they're lashing out in vicious ways and they look at fully half the population who doesn't agree with them as as moral scum and as an existential and physical threat to their lives they're being manipulated by puppet masters but they don't realize it now if they had a realization do you think that would be devastating for them if they were to turn around and say and and actually look in the mirror and say to themselves Oh man, the last two years, wow, I've been a narcissistic fuck about everything. This is all 
bullshit. Do you do you think that type of realization would cause them immense kind of mental distress because they've held yes. a cognitive distortion for so long? Yes. Yes, I know it because I've been through it. I I went through it with my mother. The relationship be, among us three children, they were so distorted from my mother's abuse and the way my mother played us against each other and and the ways in which we children mistreated each other because of the cognitive distortions in our head uh, from the way we were raised. It's very painful to wake up to the reality that you not only, that almost everything you believe about the world has been wrong, that you were wrong, and that you acted based on false information and that you did things that were that hurt people. Yes, it's difficult, but it's also necessary. And it's also something that you are that we are capable of doing. I'm not a perfect person. I'm not trying to be self-aggrandizing. You know, I've got a lot of rough edges uh, that may never be smoothed out, but I'm going through that process. I've been through that process. I've seen other people go through that process. It hurts and it's scary and it destabilizes you, but you can do it. And frankly, I think we have a moral obligation to do it. Now, in your opinion, do you think more and more people are waking up now that that have kind of been asleep the last two years, because I've really found that in in my life, I've seen people the last two years that have been very follow what the government says. the The health officials aren't lying to you, even though they've mo- when you say, "Hey, they moved the goalpost again." Well, this is an ever changing, ever evolving situation, right? And I hate to use some of the political lingo that you hear from the media, but that's some of the stuff they say. Yeah. And now they're now they're turning around and they're saying, you know what? I don't think I don't think that the government and that the media is being entirely truthful. And now they're stuck because the worst thing for the left, what I've seen, the worst thing that you can do is be a member of the left that turns. Yes. If you were always a member of the right, well, you've always been a piece of shit to them. Yeah. But if you were with the chosen people and you flip script, that's even worse than anything else. That is like the ultimate sin. You see it with Glenn Greenwald. You see it with some uh, former liberals where they just, they turn on each other so viciously because apostates, apostates are always punished more than anyone is. Anyone, when we perceive people to be traitors, those are the people that make us the angriest. That's a natural human. That's part of human psychology. That's why that happens. It always happens that way. Yes. So in Canada, we've really started to see, um, I think it's next week, nurses in Ontario that refuse to get vaccinated are going to be let go from their jobs. Same with doctors, same with any other healthcare workers. Some police forces have said that they won't abide by firing people that aren't vaccinated. Some have said that they're more than willing to fill in the gaps where other places um, won't. And and so now we've created this really big dichotomy here where we might have a whole segment of population that's going to be out of work very, very soon. And they're angry. They're fucking angry. And they're going to be out of work over a personal medical decision that they've chosen to make. And I don't think this has happened in modern times, even in ancient times, I've never heard of something like this happening before. 
these are the people that a year ago were shooting TikTok videos, and I hate those TikTok videos, but they were shooting them, and everyone was saying, you're a hero, and I think in the UK, they want everyone at 8 o'clock to step outside their door and clap. Hang on a really weird. Pod. Like, just weird cult-like behavior. But the people that aren't drinking the Kool-Aid anymore, or maybe they never did all that much, but they flew under the radar, now they're front and center. Yes. So someone loses their job. They just don't fall through a crack and don't exist anymore. They're still in society. Yeah. You asked if I if I thought more people were waking up. Yes, but I don't know how many more. I you know, I only notice the ones that I notice. And I don't know if enough people will wake up soon enough to make a big difference. Because I, I think we have a choice. I don't think there are very many forks in this road that we're on. I think one fork leads us to just a final destination of actual full-on authoritarianism. And Australia is very close to it right now. Very close. Well, in fact, no, they're in it. They're in it. They're not very close to it. They are in it. That is not a representative democracy or republic anymore. It is a police state. Australia is. We're going to get there real soon if if we don't push back on this. And I don't know if enough of us will wake up. I hope so, but I don't know. Do you think people are just, they're too complacent? We've had it good for so long that we don't want the good times to end? Yes, but I think it's more than that. I think it's also that, at least we Americans, our educational system has gone down the shit tube over the past 50 years. And we do not understand our constitutional system. We don't actually understand the fundamental philosophical principles on which this country was founded. People don't actually understand what liberty is, what individualism is. They don't, they say they're for things like freedom of speech, but suddenly they're not for them when it's something that scares them or something that offends them. Um, I, I thought I understood a lot of this stuff and, and the past four or five years of waking up, I've realized how ignorant I was of some of these fundamental principles. And, and not only that, but if you're on the left, you are taught that these principles aren't, they're not real. They're just, they're the oppressor's camouflage for what they really want to do. There's no such thing as free speech. There's, you know, these people are just trying to get by on you. These founders of, of America, well, they were all slave owners or th- this many were slave owners. So there was nothing good about them. None of this means anything. It's all a lie. We're told that none of this stuff is actually real. So if you're on the left, part of being on the left is getting to think of yourself as cosmopolitan and sophisticated and urbane rather than stupid like those NASCAR Budweiser swilling trailer park hicks in the South. People won't say this out loud much and they'll object, but that's exactly what it's about. You know, you're at best, you, you look at these things with this sort of detached sense of irony right? Like only a rube would believe in something like individual liberty. The real world doesn't work that we sophisticated people know better. So we don't know. A lot of these people do not know what they're throwing away. They're going to find out though. They're going to find out because as much as they hate people like you and people like me and think that it's just going to be Russell and Josh 
who get sent to the gulag, their asses are going to be sitting down in the gulag with you and me. It may take them a couple more weeks to get to Club Med, but they're going to get there. To, to some people I've talked to, this is all the culmination of years and years of indoctrination, universities into collectivism, as we talked about earlier. Communism, uh, Marxism. Mm-hmm. A, a lack of meaning in people's lives. And, and I mean, if you live in a communist country, uh, meaning doesn't come from God or spirituality. Meaning comes from the state and labor to the state. And you're and you are, you know, the whole idea of seizing the means of production, right? You you are your labor. With this sort of end of I, I guess individuality, this almost forced collectivism that we're that we're seeing, where you are gonna get vaccinated, are gonna wear the mask, you're gonna, you know, it expands into other things too. Now they're talking about linking the same thing to climate and that. So you're also gonna hugs and live in the pod and and you have things. to listen to Greta goddamn Thunberg every day. Can you imagine? That would be the worst. Will no one deliver us from this obnoxious Swedish child. But at the end of the day, these people that have been excluded from society, like I said, they're not going to anywhere. They're just going to get more and more angry. Yep. And what happens when they get angry? Where, where are they going to go? Things. What are they going to do? My guess is, and none of this, I'm not endorsing any of these things. I'm simply describing what it looks like to me. People are going to kill each other. They're going to burn each other's houses down. There's going to be smaller kinds of tribal warfare. And if it goes far enough, it'll be civil war. That's what's going to happen. Now, I don't know if we're going to get all the way there. And I don't know what it's going to look like at every step of the way. But it's very possible that we'll have a two-tiered society where people will be legally and physically segregated to certain physical areas where they are not allowed to leave. You know, we have words for these things like concentration camps, ghettos, you know, things like that. And I don't want to hear anybody tell people like us anymore that we're exaggerating. I see it right in front of me. I see people on Twitter and social media every day saying, let them die kick them out of the hospital. Don't treat them for a heart attack. They didn't take the vaccine. Fuck them. They're trying to kill my child, even though your child is not going to die of COVID. People are bloodthirsty and their bloodthirstiness is being stoked and praised by the media and by the government and by the medical industry and, and organizations like the Centers for Disease Control. This is extraordinarily dangerous not only dangerous for the people that are being excluded from society, but the people that are part of the in-group too are being rewarded for taking a substance that, again, the I don't want to get banned off YouTube, but it seems like there seems to be a increasing number of complications and it doesn't seem to be as trustworthy as it was played out to be, yeah. um, even when Donald Trump introduced it. It doesn't seem to be much of the what they claimed it was supposed to be. <laughs> so the people that are part of the in group that are taking the vaccine that are that are really buying the Kool Aid, they tend to be people I've noticed that don't live healthy lifestyles. Um, you know, I, I saw on I think it was libs of TikTok the one picture and it was the lady and it was she was huge and on the back of yes. her shirt said vaccinated as fuck. Yeah. And I just, oh yeah, you're, you're or, super or healthy. Show, or they'll show, they'll show somebody who's died in hospital, um, who said, you know, 
If only I'd gotten the vaccine. If only I'd gotten the vaccine. And you're sitting there and you're looking at a 350 pound woman. We're not talking about somebody who's chubby. We're talking about somebody who is carnival sideshow obese. Okay. And that's the truth. That is the truth. I don't care how, I don't care how raw that sounds. You know, I don't want these people to die. I don't take any pleasure in seeing these people die. A lot of people are taking some pleasure, but my God, you think that the morbid obesity doesn't have anything to do with this? You think that the type two diabetes that that kind of morbid obesity brings doesn't have anything to do with the fact that a 26 year old woman died of COVID? Are you kidding me? Right? Why do you think it's so, why do you think it's so taboo to talk about the obesity factor and comorbidity? Why is it so taboo to talk about that? Because Because we don't hear it. Because we are a bunch of babies. We have been babied culturally and babied by our public school systems and babied and sheltered and flattered by our parents for the past couple of generations. At least we are entirely fragile. Adolescence extends to at least age 30 in North America now. The way 30-year-olds behave is what we expected 18-year-olds to be putting down and getting rid of as they got their first apartment in my day. And we have been told that we're beautiful and that we're special and we're unique and we can be anything we want. We have been lied to. We haven't been taught how the real world works. And we have been given this with the promise that we're doing it for people's self-esteem, but false self-esteem is not self-esteem at all. It's not actual regard for yourself in a realistic way. It's just lying. It's just lying. And it's inflating our egos and making our egos fragile so that we cannot handle the truth about ourselves, right? I'll give you an example. I, I, I talked about this on, uh, on an episode of my show maybe three weeks ago. I'm not inexperienced with this. I've had problems with my weight most of my adult life. I'm I'm thinner than I used to be, but I still have some weight to lose. And I spent most of my life from about the age of 16 or 17 as a heavy alcoholic. I've only been sober for about a year and a half now. And so I know what making self-destructive life choices can do to a person. And when I went to my doctor a couple years ago to ask for help to stop drinking, that was the first time I'd stopped lying. It was the first time I said out loud, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drunk um, and I need help. And my doctor, who's a very good man, I'm criticizing him here, but I'm not saying that he's a terrible person. The first thing he said to me, Russell, was we don't use terms like that anymore uh, because they blame the person. You have substance use disorder. Really? Here I am at 44, 45 years old, actually, for the first time in my life, being truthful about the fact that I've been a drunk and I need help and I'm able to say it out loud and I'm taking responsibility for it. And the first thing my doctor wants to do is take that responsibility away and say that, you know, I'm, I'm being too critical, right? I mean, it's, it's, it may be well meant, but it isn't helpful. And that's an illustration of the fact that we are allergic to personal responsibility. I talked before on a, on a different episode about George Carlin and George Carlin's big thing when he went to talk to media and to do speeches and even talked about a bit on his comedy routine was about how we've changed the meaning of words. Yep. We've taken words that are to produce a vis- visceral reaction 
to motivate them to change or to take action or to avoid. And we've turned it into feel-good words to make people more comfortable. So when someone dies, they're dead. They died. They didn't pass away. They, they're, they didn't, yes. you know, they didn't go to sleep forever or, or whatever else. They, they went home to Jesus. No, they fucking died. They died. And it sucks. Yeah, and you need but, to feel that emotion. Russell, you're absolutely right. I, you're absolutely right. I mean, seriously, I've said the same thing. You can open a newspaper, okay? You can open the obituary section of a newspaper, and you can see 25 entries in there, and not one fucking person in there died. Not one. I've done this exercise. They passed away. They were lost. So we get the passive voice in there too, right? We cannot handle reality. And the fact is, being comfortable is not is not a positive goal in and of itself in every context, right? Sometimes we need to be very uncomfortable. I've had this discussion with my therapist because you don't get out of a childhood like mine without having serious mental damage, okay? So <laughs> he's really helped me to understand this. And he said he believes that one of the things that's wrong with our society is that we do not value what suffering can do for us. We th- suffering is suffering, right? It means you suffer. But we want to alleviate suffering right away. We want to take all suffering away from people when sometimes suffering is what we need because it's telling us that something is wrong. You see this with, with the so-called, uh, with, with the allegedly transgendered, the people who think that they were born in the wrong body and, and they need to be affirmed and they need to be told that, yes, in fact, you are a woman when you have a penis. And yes, we are going to put you on hormones. It may come from a place of compassion. We want to alleviate their suffering. But what we're actually doing is we're taking the opportunity away from these people to look beneath the suffering and say, why am I suffering? Where is this coming from? What is wrong in my life? And and with things like this, it's almost always past trauma. It's childhood trauma. It's abuse. It's neglect. It's, it's, it's psychiatric problems, right? And I include myself in there too. I have psychiatric problems as a result of my upbringing, but they are my responsibility I am the only one who can change them. Nobody else can do that for me. I can't get, you know, my mother is never going to be a decent person. I can't go back and relive my childhood. But we 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 need to suffer and we need to recognize and suffering can't go on forever because if suffering does go on forever, we get to places of, of suicidality. But we need to evaluate it. Why am I suffering? Is it can this suffering teach me can it show me that i need to make a significant change and when we bring it back to the vaccines and to the vaccine passport and mandates it, it to me it's it seems like it's an exercise in a way of almost masochism for some people because they want this vaccine passport so they can go somewhere so that they can say look what i've suffered through I suffered through two years. I took my shots. I'm a good boy. Now let me into your movie theater. All right. And here's my certificate of virtue to show you that I'm part of the club. And so we've hit this sort of apex now of our society where where the vaccine passport 
system, which was originally an Alex Jones conspiracy that he said was coming. And and he was right again. Now it's a conspiracy if you don't want to take it. What's wrong with you if you don't want your vaccine and your vaccine passport? You, yes, I, I, I love the fact that you said masochistic because so much of this relation that we're in with centers of authority, cultural influencers and politicians, we are actually in a sadomasochistic relationship. This is an abuse cycle. And sadomasochism, when we think about sadomasochism in terms of sexual expression, um, sorry, kinksters, uh, but you need to hear this. Sadomasochism is merely reenactment and reentrenchment of trauma that you've been through before. It's a, it's a sexual abuse passion play that you are reenacting over and over and over again because you're trying to get it right this time. You're trying to get to love. You're trying to get to health. You're trying to get to safety. And you're, you're trying to please whoever it was in your childhood or in your past who taught you that you weren't good enough. This is not a path to health. It's not a path to self-actualization. But we, we trauma, we, we begin to become addicted to pain and trauma because it's all we know. And we think that the only way we can prove that we're a good person or that we're worthy of living or that we're worthy of being loved and respected is to constantly prove this by groveling in front of somebody who's, who's standing over us or has their boot on our neck. You know, this is no way to live. There's no redemption there. There's no healing there. There's only more suffering and abuse and more degradation. In our society, we have, as we talked about earlier, we've become very soft. We've Mm -hmm. what, what we, and not, and not to discount people's suffering because people go through terrible things all the time, but we take death, for example, as something unnatural where if you go to other parts <laughs> of the world where child mortality is very high where where grandpa is grandpa at 60 and he's dead by 70 there there yeah. are very different cultural dynamic on what death is and what's acceptable and unacceptable and we come to north america where we hear you know at 20 years old well they were taken too early you can say that on one hand say yes but when you look at the overall span of history and of humanity and our mortality rates, 20 years old is actually pretty good. That lady that made that makes it to 110, well, she's like a savant. She's beaten the odds right. of, of everything else. Well, and- it, it's worse than that, though, really, isn't it? Because we can understand – the emotion of of 20 being too early to go and certainly i think i think the most traumatic death we can experience is the death of our child i don't think there's any greater kind of pain from death than that look at look at what we're doing we're acting like people in their 80s who die because they got covid and it interacted with their parkinsons or their congestive heart failure or whatever it is we are acting as if this is a tragedy and i'm it's 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 ludicrous the death of an 80-year-old is not a tragedy. It's called natural. That doesn't mean it isn't sad. My grandmother died at 76 years old, and I cried. I missed my grandmother, but her death was not a tragedy. She was an old woman. We treat death in North America 
as if it were an optional lifestyle choice that just might not be right for our family, right? I mean, the way we talk about this, you know, well, if anything should ever happen to me, anything is going to ever going to happen to you, sweetheart, you're going to die. And I, I, I'm not looking forward to the cessation of my consciousness any more than the next person is. I'm not a religious person. Um, I'm no longer hostile to religion the way I was when I was a new atheist and a, and a wokey, but I simply don't believe personally. You know, I can understand the comfort that, that, that people take in that. But as uncomfortable as I am about thinking about, about my own death, I know that it's going to happen. We are so convinced that we're so convinced of our weakness, Russell. We think that we can't handle the truth about things, and we've really sold ourselves short. We have been trained to be weak. We, we have let our muscles get flabby. But we don't have to stay here. We are capable of taking on so much more. We are capable of being stronger people. It doesn't mean we won't suffer, and it doesn't mean that we don't need love and comfort. And we do sometimes need a friend or a family member or a a wife or a husband who will literally let us cry on their shoulder. But we can have that and still be stronger than we are. We just need, we need to convince people that it doesn't have to be this way. I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure how we do it either. I want to make some uh, predictions here. So what are your predictions? Three months, six months, one year. I don't know about the timeline, but I think everything gets worse before it gets better. It might get significantly worse. We might have actual physical segregation. We might have travel bans, interstate or interprovincial travel bans for the unvaccinated or the not fully vaccinated. In fact, I think this is very likely because, you know, even as we have, people aren't even talking about this. They're not even talking about the fact that that we can treat COVID better than we could in the beginning. We're not putting people on ventilators and and inadvertently killing them by ventilating them too early. There are drugs, we can't even talk about those drugs that that have very promising treatment profiles, but we are in such a, a hysterical state that I can't even say the name of that drug on this show without endangering your YouTube channel. I mean, th- this is crazy. So we are gonna get worse. I don't think the hysteria has peaked. What do you think? What's your prediction? My prediction, three months from now, we're on a fully fully segregated system where you have people that have chosen to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated, and there's different lifestyles for, for either ones. I think our EI in Canada, employment insurance, is going to start to run dry because there's, people aren't working. And they're not giving back to the economy. I could see our country printing more and more money to try to stave it off. Um, We're doing just, the same thing here. Just dumping inflation. Yeah, you got your infrastructure bill, your never-ending infrastructure bill. Uh, Scott Adams is pretty funny every morning when he does his show. He talks about how, uh, oh, riveting news, the infrastructure bill got delayed again. Yeah, I just see lots more spending of money on nothing. The ex- further expansion of governmental power. Six months from now, I can see people taking extremist type behavior towards the state. I can see that easily happening. Um, And a year from now, well, and and that's, you know, you look at Australia, look at what happened there. You got that seven-year-old woman, they knocked to the ground. And when she was on the ground, they pepper sprayed her face. And that, I don't think, 
I don't think that's actually acceptable use of force in any police manual, I don't think. But who knows? Maybe Australia is different. They were a penal colony once, so things are going to get a lot worse. I don't know how they're going to get better, though. I, I, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't either, and uh, I don't mind saying I'm scared. I'm scared. And I think everybody should be scared. And I don't think enough people are going to be scared until it's too late. Well, we are. We're living in scary times now. Who knew two years ago this is where we're going to be at today? And we did it to ourselves. This is entirely self-inflicted. We've done this to ourselves. I agree. We got, we have no one else to blame. And, and let's be honest, majority of people didn't want to hear the truth. In Canada, we were short PPE. It was just uh, found out today they did a big Access to Information Act dump and found out that our federal government knew that PPE was very short and they purposely pretended that it wasn't. So they could ration it off to Quebec. And that's a whole other political sort of thing. It's the lies. They they don't trust us to be scared and trust our own emotions. So they have to continue to put on a play almost. Oh, yeah. But more and more people aren't buying it anymore. Stephen Colbert can get up there and he can dance like a fucking goof all of you all he wants. <laughs> and that, but people just aren't buying it anymore. Well, more people need to not buy it and 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 thank God. Thank God there's people like you out there starting your show. I, I see more people like we, we need more people like you. We need more people willing to stand up and say this stuff in public. Let's, let's hope, let's hope more people join us. Definitely. I think, and I think there will be, that it seems like more people are joining daily. I mean, we got Nicki Minaj on our side now. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. I really appreciate you coming onto the show today, talking about this important topic I'm really hoping that things uh, will slow down, but it looks like we're on a crazy roller coaster ride for now. It does. It does indeed. Thank you very much, Russell, for having me. I appreciate it.